This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, the first Monday of the new year. Happy New Year to everyone. And of course, it's time for our Zoomer squad. And unfortunately, the big subject is same old, same old. And maybe that throwaway line describes how the government is seeing the second wave devastation in our long-term care homes. Here in Ontario, They're actually defending their performance, not that the minister is showing her face or putting her name to it. One in three nursing homes here is in outbreak, but a spokesperson for Ontario's long-term care ministry claims the scope of the outbreaks is not as bad as in the first wave, pointing out that there are currently 1,140 cases of COVID-19 compared with 2,538 at the peak of the first wave in May. That's what we're comparing it to. Is it a race to the bottom? What do you think? Do you think the government has done everything as they say, or perhaps even anything to protect our most vulnerable in nursing homes? Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to bring in our Zoomer squad, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and here in studio behind multiple layers of plexiglass, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Libby. Happy New Year to you, too, Libby. Uh, well, David, let's start with you. Um, uh, so these numbers, there's uh, nothing encouraging about them that I could see. There's nothing encouraging about the numbers and there's nothing encouraging about the response to the numbers. And now in looking back, we can see what opportunities were wasted in the spring and summer when the uh, pandemic was sort of in retreat. The first wave was over. What did they do then to get ready for this? And the minister is saying, well, the infections are up anyway. We can't stop that. But they can certainly have stopped what's going on inside the nursing homes had they been using that time period to get ready. And there's just no evidence that they did anything at all. Okay, Bill. Uh, David is uh, right. Uh, uh, nothing, uh, nothing was done, and now we're getting well. Very little was done, and now we're getting the uh, uh, results. And and you know, one of the the biggest fears that uh, maybe hasn't been underlined yet is uh, the number of people in intensive care here in Ontario. Uh, it's over eighty five percent capacity already, and that's with something around three hundred and fifty uh, people. And the experts are saying it could climb to five or six hundred uh, uh, people within a week or so. So not only are our long-term care homes under pressure, but the hospitals that are trying to support them are under the same kind of uh, pressure. And there seems to be no let up in sight. Peter. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say um, 
something about the numbers because, um, yes, there are fewer cases. And uh, so far, it looks like the death rate is slightly lower. But um, that's probably because, uh, you know, 23, 2400 people already died of this disease in the first wave. So obviously, there's going to be fewer cases because there was there was such high fatality in the, the first time around, you know. So it doesn't mean they're doing a better job. It just means that the people who are most uh, vulnerable to the disease have already died of it, you know. Well, and uh, we're not that, that she was comparing it uh, to the peak in the spring. We are not at the peak we're if we are to peak, believe uh, experts that that is coming and that will be something that we have not seen and something terrible. Right. And, and that's supposed to be coming by, you know, the, the end of the month, the mid to end of month. We'll see then. And also another alarming thing, Libby, is the, the number of staff cases. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the numbers from the first wave. It seemed like it was about two patients um, uh, for every staff uh, case of COVID this time, it seems like the staff cases are way up and, and almost the same number of staff have COVID as, as uh, residents. So uh, again, that's troubling from a staffing point of view. And, and where, one thing I, I have to pursue that I have heard anecdotally that a lot of the long-term care staffers are not taking the vaccine, that they aren't exactly anti-vax, but they don't want to be the first ones to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. David, do you that have any? That would be disturbing. If, I haven't heard that statistically, but uh, and it, why would they not have confidence in the vaccine? Well, it's a good question. But uh, that would that would not fill me with confidence as well. That the uh, can they can you decline that if you are going to be a frontline worker? Can you decline that for? Is that not a like not wearing a mask. I think you can decline it. Actually. Well, obviously you can, but is it right that you should? Is well, that, yes. what if you don't want to wear a mask? Can you be a frontline health? No, worker? I don't think you can exactly do that. I mean, the government keeps saying that they have done everything. The one thing they did was put together these hubs where hospitals were in charge of certain numbers of long-term care homes in terms of teaching them. And, and perhaps implementing infection control. But then we had with the tender care, the very ironically named tender care mm-hmm. centers uh, that uh, mid-December, an, an inspector actually went in there. I mean, we have to clap our hands to that. You know, at least uh, they stopped doing the inspections on the phone, went in there and described huge violations of infection control practices. Uh, people, you know, were... We're not aware of them at all. Huge and very visible. Uh, not, uh, but the the other thing about tender care that's very disturbing. Um, they had an inspector inside that home on October the sixteenth, looking into a complaint. Fair enough, a specific complaint. Um, couldn't that inspector have looked around <laughs> on that day? This is eight. So eight weeks later, I have widespread violations, highly visible. I don't have PPE caddies outside every room. I have people uh, doubling up on not changing their gloves as frequently and so on. Very visible. Eight weeks earlier, there's somebody in the building. Could it, could they not have taken a, a look around? For that matter, couldn't the government have said in the summer that our regular inspection regimen is just not going to cut it? Let's use this time to inspect everything. Well, yeah, it, ins- inspection is one thing. Uh, l- let's use this time. What Quebec did was that they 
trained people and yes. they paid those people to take right. while they were training. And that, I mean, if they had done that, I would have said, okay, you did most everything, but, but th- this is just, uh, it, it's, but you make a, you make a great point there. I think it's, we can ask them to do their utmost. I don't hold the ministry. I don't think CARP holds the ministry responsible for the rate of infection, let's say, or for the rate of spread. There are many, many factors outside their control. But at least if they were taking all the measures they could, you would look at it a little bit differently. This just looks like neglect. It looks like neglect. And, and I mean, you know, honestly, I, I believe they're decent people. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how... They can look themselves in the mirror, how they can, uh, I mean, the minister Merrily Fullerton very rarely now goes on media, but how can she get up wherever in the house, the house isn't sitting, of course, uh, and, and say, we, we've done everything. I don't understand that. I just don't. They really don't seem to understand uh, the the basis of the issue. The the spokesperson for the minister said, uh, because testing is better, we can keep it under control. Well, is this under control? What what extreme would be be deemed out of control? She said it it enhanced testing efforts have allowed authorities to detect infections before the virus spread through the facility. But we all know that's not that true. Where, where, where are they? Where are they living? Where have they been? What, what have they been reading that uh, that's different from what we're seeing? In fact, day by day. Interesting, Peter. There are also calls for the military to be called in again, and I saw some tweets by the head of the for-profit long-term care association saying they're being overwhelmed. Uh, something has to happen. They are on their own reaching out to the Red Cross. But uh, certainly the, the, uh, the federal government says, look, the provinces have, have to get in touch with us before we send the military in. How do you see that reluctance to do that? Well, the military embarrassed uh, the province when they came in the first time around. They I mean, it was embarrassing to have to call them in. And then the report that, the subsequent report that came out was, was another slap in the face to the uh, long-term care ministry. So, um, I, you know what, if they don't call them in soon, it's going to be too late again. And, and it's just going to be a repeat of the, of the last time around. So, um, but, it, but I, I, I suppose their, their reluctance is they don't want to be embarrassed again. Well, one way or another... Uh, you know, the the climbing death toll is not exactly going to be to their credit. No, exactly. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the, this goes back, and, and you're, you're beginning to see more articles about this. It's just this culture of, um, you know, this, this culture that, that we don't really care about how we look after our seniors. And it's it's been embedded in our system for so long. And um, it's still in there, and, and it's still in there after the first wave, and it's gonna—it's obviously going to take more and more waves for it to gradually dawn on people that it's not good enough to call in the military when there's an emergency. You know, it, it, we have to actually do proactive things to to get on top of this. Well, and uh, you know, it, it just goes back to this long festering culture that that seniors in nursing homes are second-rate citizens. You know. You know, I I will say the thing that I find really disturbing about what 
the minister is doing is that she seems to be somewhat on top of addressing the really long-term issues mm-hmm. and and seems to be on the right track with that. But, but you know, it, it's like, hello, there is a crisis right now. So they didn't take advantage of the summer to get ready for it. And now... You know, there's no, David, you've pointed this out many times, of the the distinction between addressing the crisis and addressing the long-term issues, which, yes, they're not your fault. Well, um, CARP has actually been very clear about that. We're not holding Marilee Fullerton or Doug Ford. These problems came up long ago during previous regimes. We have also commented that the long-term solutions that they've come up with uh, are rational that you can't nobody expects the system to be rebuilt you know over a weekend it takes time the the policy proposals are thoughtful but two things are happening at the same time there's a short term emergency the house is on fire and yeah it's nice that somebody that's got the time to do it is calling in the architect <laughs> about yeah. what what is it going to look like the next iteration that's fine but meanwhile the house is still in flames what are you doing right now and that half of the equation you're quite right they seem to be either blind or indifferent or or maybe they're stymied or they don't know but they're just denying it away they're trying to deny it out of existence okay let's take a couple of calls we've got Joan in Niagara. Hello, Joan. Hi. When are they going to get the politicians out of there and put somebody in that knows what they are doing? I mean, this is getting to be, it's disgusting. Can't disagree with you. Can't disagree with you. (laughs) It's a good good point, too, because, I mean, we have, uh, you know, we have military generals running the vaccination rollout programs. Yeah. Can, what does can Doug we... Ford know about deployment? Well, what 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 does a general know about public health and, well, and medicine? Now, I don't want to scoop myself because I'm dealing with the roll-up in the back half, and that is one of the things I definitely want to address. And I have to say, when I heard about the general being called in, I thought, great, brilliant idea. But, you know, it turns out maybe not so much. Not so much. Maybe well, not at so least much. they know how to get the vaccines out. No, they don't. They know how to get the vaccines into freezers. And most of our <laughs> vaccines are sitting in freezers, and they're not getting into people's arms. But, uh, Joan, all I can say is hang in. Uh, I'm going to deal with people who are expert on that uh, at about 1230. So, uh, Are we talking about the leaders of our country and our province? Yeah, but she makes a good Joan makes a good point because when you talk about the phrase "people who know what they're doing," there are hundreds of thousands of dollars of payroll going to deputy ministers and assistant deputy ministers, the permanent staff who are supposed to know just that and are supposed to be on top of that, are supposed to be watching that, and you know, can't they be called to account? That's you can't fire them all, which is why we're maybe uh-huh. after the minister. Uh, I'm sorry. I guess common sense has gone completely. Yes, yes. you're right. I'm Joan, you're thanks right. for your call. Let's hear from Ron in Guelph. Thank you. Ron? Hello. Hello. Yes, go. are you there? Uh, we're there. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't hear that. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, I spoke with the moderator. I saw something in the star which uh, brings home a point that uh, a lot of people are calling for these uh 
um, some of these homes to be closed. Um, you know, their infection factories and everything else. And this person wrote into the star and says, well, that's wonderful, but what do we do if we close all these long-term care homes? What do we do with all the people that are already there if you close the homes? Well, it's been the excuse about why there aren't serious sanctions, why none of them have been closed. Uh, it, it's true. But, uh, David, do you find that that's been too much of an excuse? Well, I think, excuse me, I think it has been too much of an excuse because it goes back to where are you going to put the people who are infected with COVID short of closing the entire home? So if the home is inadequate, if there's four people in a room, if somebody gets COVID, if the home itself is inadequate, now they finally come up with 30 beds at Grace Hospital for the whole city. With great fanfare. With great fanfare. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. could have been working on that the whole time. They could be building temporary structures the whole time. I've heard anecdotally from some hospitals, people I know, unconnected with COVID, but during COVID, built... uh, tents or prefabs or units in their parking lots for overflow and took them down again after the ground. There's other solutions. If you're going to think outside the box, if you're going to be innovative, army, our military sets up field hospitals all the time. It's, it's a, it's a known technology to say this is a short term emergency. You see that parking lot over there? We're putting up this structure in there. We could have several of them in the city. Instead, they take all this time and I'm not knocking Grace Hospital, but good luck. 30 beds for overflow for the GTA. And that's supposed to be a big win. Well, exactly. And they even have these emergency hospitals in the United States, which uh, is yes. doing worse than we are, though. I, I I didn't get to doing the number comparison. I, th- I think that when it comes to long-term care, we We're may be one. on yes. par with them, Yes, uh, which are. is shameful. It is. It Just is. shameful. Well, the point, the point uh, I'm trying to make, Libby, is that um, that's wonderful for the people in front. What do they do if they close the hospitals with the healthy people that are still in there, the long-term care home? What do they do with those people? Where do they put them? Well, I don't think anybody's talking about closing uh, long-term care. They're talking about if somebody is infected and if they're in a ward room, find a place to put them. Well, that, that's fair. Um, uh, the other point I wanted to make is, you know, they're, they're saying about we've got to get all this stuff done, including CARP. But the problem is um, you've got to get more inspectors. The one gentleman there said this has been an ongoing problem. It's developed over the years. Well, that's part of the whole problem is we're dealing with a bureaucracy, all right? So if it was private enterprise... Well, uh, it is private enterprise, and that is apparently but, part of the problem. <laughs> well, it, it's, but that is, but you still got to hire the inspectors, and these inspectors have got to be trained in that. can't be done overnight, can it? Uh, yeah, that's, um, uh, yeah, there's problems in every aspect. Ron, thanks for your call. Uh, let's go to Helen in Toronto. Hi, Helen. Hi, Libby. I know you've got advance notice of what I'm going to say because I sent the email to you a while ago, and I will be giving you all the details by the end of the week. The idea that somebody has spoken of putting dropping field hospitals, I've been working on that since November. I've gotten as far as Doug Ford and Doug, uh, there were a lot of people in between, and Doug Ford's uh, whoever said they're forwarding it to Marilee Fullerton. Please call her. 
Now, I know that, you're laughing because you've seen the content of. Uh, no, I'm 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 laughing that uh, that you sent something. It took weeks for somebody to respond, and they're sending it to the person who has been not doing be nothing. I mean, you know, good luck to you, but um, I I can't say that. Uh, I would be very hopeful about that. Well, that's why I'm saying that you'll probably get the full content for next week. Oh. So, because I've, I've worked pretty hard on this thing for a long time, and to think that they cannot come up with exactly what the other gentleman said and what I'm working on. Drop, field, hospitals, you can do it in Haiti in a storm. Why can't you do it in Toronto? Well, good question, Helen, and uh, good, good luck with good that. Question. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Good afternoon. Happy New Year. Happy New Year uh, to you. I think it's very easy to sit back and give the solutions. Um, I would suggest that all who are making comments try running for government and find out that when you are in government, you are in a governance position, you are not a frontline worker. Um, that said, why don't we simply look at those facilities that have the best results and just make sure that we enforce that in all the other facilities? It makes too, it makes too much sense. Well, it's, well, it's a good yeah, idea. I, I'm sorry to be facetious, but it's almost that true. It's almost that true. Well, and... As one who was in government for eight years, I I know what happens. I think the best thing is to do is to pick out the ones that are doing things right and just make sure that is copied. Okay, because well, to that's... go out and reinvent the wheel just takes time and gets you nowhere. Well, that is called best practices, and it is uh, supposed to be a practice in healthcare. Thank you, Pat, for your call. Peter, you were going to say something? Well, I, I was just saying that I, I was looking at the list of outbreaks, and uh, two of the homes uh, that have had recent outbreaks um, were, were actually lauded in the first round for not having outbreaks. So, you know, their best practices work the first time around, but haven't worked the second time around, you know. So uh, how, how do you identify best practices, like these things come into the homes by accident, you know, by the back door, and, and no amount of, of best practices is going to keep it out, it seems. You know? Well, I, th- th- that's true, too, and especially now when we have this more contagious strain, it's uh, truly frightening. Yeah. And and just, you know, it, 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 that again, you know, that that's sort of like an optimistic idea, like we can just, you know, get the model of one home and imitate it elsewhere. It's a good idea, but it's only part of the idea. You know, we, we need a, we need a bit of a change in, in the political level as well. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think you'd get a lot of uh, disagreement there either. Yeah. Uh, David update, give us an update on that campaign of yours. Well, we're, uh, we're going to cross the 5,000 mark today. I think as of, a few minutes ago, we're like a handful of numbers away, and we're going to be resuming our uh, radio commercials. We did sort of back off a little bit over the holiday, but we're going to be resuming those this week. Particularly, we'll focus on three things the tender care uh, crisis, 62 deaths since December 9th. There's and, also and there's another one that we just learned, St. George, the annex, and yeah. it's, it's it's right, right here, yeah. right in, uh, you know, in the. the uh, wealthiest part of Toronto. Right. 
So we're going to be focusing on those recent cases. We're going to be focusing as well on the continued obfuscation of the ministry for trying to use the infection rate, the contagion rate, which everybody agrees is not on their head, with the lack of action as we hit wave two. So those spots will be on the air uh, within days. And uh, we are hoping to continue the momentum. And we're also hoping in our uh, both digital and on the radio to to communicate more of the stories we're hearing from people as they're leaving comments or several thousand comments now. And it's really a mixture of this sort of rage and frustration with uh, the tragedy of people coping with unexpected deaths, lack of communication. I mean, the, the most telling thing I can say right now is why the people who had family in tender care have had to resort to a WhatsApp to keep themselves up to date on what's going on and had a town hall meeting yesterday. Last night, yes, Last we covered night. it extensively. In These news. are the people, this is the grassroots saying, why are we, why is it on us to do all this? Where is the ministry? So we are not relenting on that. We're going to carry that message through loud and clear and hope to get even more uh, signatures. And I would encourage everybody to take a look at the petition at CARP. That's well, and, and you know, it, interesting, not not to scoop my panel tomorrow, my political panel. So I, I was on holiday last week yes. and I watched the Rod Phillips thing unfold. And as soon as it came to light, you sort of look at the list and it was totally obvious. Bethlehem Falvey is the next guy. But with long-term care, it's like, who takes that? <laughs> so, uh, it's you a know, 64. It's a that 64. No like, who would be qualified and and up for? I mean, you know, if, if the premier tells you to take the job, you take the job. But right. but it's, it's a much more difficult. I think, uh, Peter, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's not exactly a career builder at this time. <laughs> well, no, but you know, the, that yeah. even that aside, as a you know, as as a you know, if you base it on inclination and training and qualifications, it's it's not obvious either. No, not at all. Okay, uh, we are starting to run out of time. I've just heard from David on the picking up that CARP campaign to. Uh, fire merrily fullerton uh, what else bill what are you going to be watching throughout the week well uh i'm going to go back to something that both david and helen uh, mentioned and that's the building and using of other structures to house uh, people so we don't have them crowded into long-term care homes we don't have to look across the border for examples in nova scotia they have used hotels that are uh, very empty at the moment to do the same thing. In Alberta, they are currently building, in fact, it may open today, uh, an actual field, outdoor field uh, hospital to house people. If you can do it in uh, Alberta and their weather, we could certainly do it here in Toronto. Okay, yeah, and, um, you know, um, you seem to be doing pretty well out there in Nova Scotia. Yes, so far we are, although we'll see what happens after the... uh, uh, after the the uh, holiday uh, break and people becoming uh, maybe a little bit more uh, less observant of the uh, the rules uh, percentage wise given population uh, uh, we're uh, we're not doing as well as some people might uh, uh, like us uh, to be doing but uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, 
Atlantic Canadians have to be just as careful as anybody else because we can see from the Ontario example how quickly things can get out of control when officials don't pay attention to the basics of what their job and focus should be. Okay, and Peter, what would you like to leave us with? Well, you know, I'm going to be following the vaccine rollout um, as it slowly gets underway, and, and a good place to start would be listening to the second half of the show, I think. Absolutely. I was right. just going to say, stay tuned for the stay second tuned. half of the show. Right. We have some uh, very, very uh, expert guests talking about it. And, and uh, I got to say, I've got to be in my bonnet about it. Uh, so <laughs> look forward to it. <laughs> thank you to our Zoomer squad, Peter Mugridge, Bill Van Gorder and David Kravitz. Thank you, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.